You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Innovations Podcast. I'm your host, Ned Barker. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Michael Chang, Director of International Payments from EasyPay. Michael, welcome to the Innovations Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. And for our listeners at home, um, why don't you start by introducing yourself and giving us a bit of a background as to how you got into fintech? I got my degree in the U.S. in uh, math and education. So I, I was a teacher first. I uh, come from a line of educators from my family, but uh, they they taught in the uh, university level. I'm, I'm in the a lower class you know, in the high school math level. Yeah. Arguably then, harder, uh, I'd say. Arguably harder. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the classroom management, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, uh, then after about three years, you know, I realized, you know, the money wasn't there, you know, obviously. And I jumped into the hedge fund industry working as a analyst. And then after a few years, um, I came to China and a friend of mine said, Hey, let's start a uh, commodity brokerage firm. And I was like, okay. And so he got, you know, the licensing and then we put in some money. We got our, um, everything started doing precious metal, like gold, silver, platinum, palladium, all that stuff. And then one of my client at the time, which was William, he's the CEO of EasyPay, And then he came to me, he was working at Alibaba at the time. And he said, Hey, you know what? Uh, there is this need for cross-border payment and I need someone with, um, was banking relationship outside of China, um, to partner up with me. And he asked me to get in business with them, starting this business. So that's how, uh, the whole thing got started, I guess. Wow. Okay. So quite a journey actually going from being an educator sort of moving into the fintech world and for our for our listeners at home who might not know easy pay could you give us a bit of a background and a, and a bit of an introduction to who easy pay are yeah so easy pay we are a cross-border payment company uh, located in, in hong kong but we have offices in the u.s and beijing uh and obviously in shenzhen and we recently opened a uh, r&d development center in uh, Chengdu, China. And so we offer Chinese companies with obviously cross-border payment solutions. Um, it doesn't sound very sexy, you know, but for a country with, you know, foreign currency control, it is a big problem for businesses who wants to make, you know, international payments. Yeah. And I think for anyone listening who, who understands, you know, the payment ecosystem, I think it's safe to say that it's not an easy thing to do, uh, not only navigating multiple jurisdictions, but multiple currencies particularly when some of those currencies are, are restricted. And so, so just getting into some of these discussion points, um, obviously um, there's FinTech has been around for a long time, but um, it seems there seems to be a big boom at the moment with lots of different unique businesses popping up. What, what excites you at the moment in the FinTech industry, specifically within kind of the APAC region? Uh, I know FinTech has been really hot in China back in 2017 and then it cooled off after COVID started 
And, but apparently what I hear is, is still a hot thing in, you know, in Europe and America. Um, so I can't say anything about that side of the world right now because I've been in China for like the past two years. I haven't left China. Um, but what I can see is metaverse. That's a big one right now in China right now. And NFT is another one. Um, crypto, even though it is banned on the business level here in China, but is still, um, you know, a lot of people are still into it in the, I would say in like, not the black market, but like, you know, underground sort of. So these are three main things that I think is going to drive, you know, the FinTech space here in, you know, the Chinese market moving forward. Yeah, very interesting. And I guess one of the, the, the key points there around crypto and the, the movement of money is kind of related to what we're talking about here. And uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on kind of the current state of the, the B2B payments um, ecosystem in, in, in APAC. And then I guess specifically China, as we've said, it's, it's a difficult landscape to navigate. So where do you think there's room for kind of innovation in the, in the current uh, payments um, infrastructure within within China and, and APAC. Right. So, um, so B two B in the APAC region is really really tough. Um, I guess I'll talk about the payment companies first, and then I'll talk about the merchant side. Um, so, first of all, there are just way too too many countries in the APAC region. Right. It's not like North America where you have just you know basically three countries: you know Mexico, U.S., and Canada. And then over in Europe, you know, EU is essentially like one large giant, you know, zone, right? Even though you, you have a bunch of countries, but you guys share the same, I guess, regulatory framework, right? And if you are a, I guess, a startup, a fintech startup, and if you're starting in a country that has a small base, like let's say, I guess, Singapore or Indonesia, um, it's going to be hard for you to expand out because if you want to do payments, you first need to get a license. And we all know it's expensive, right, for you to get a license. And uh, you got to hire compliance personnel. That's one you can't get out of after 9-11 happened. Um, and for every new country that you want to get your foot into, you need to get a license in that country also. right? It's not like... Like if you're if you're a German payment company, you can you know play in France or like you know and uh, in, in Italy. Like so, if you're a Singaporean payment company, you if you want to do payments in Indonesia, you got to have a license in, in Indonesia. If you want to go to Thailand, you got to get a license in Thailand. So either you spend the money to uh, expand, or you can find a another local payment company in that region and partner up with that company. Um, but usually when you partner with somebody, they'll ask you to pay for the services, right? So if you don't want to pay, you better have something that you can offer them in exchange. And, and for a startup, I think um, you really need to be well capitalized for you to expand. If you're not, you're going to find yourself with a cash flow problem real quick. And I remember when we started out, we were uh, we got our funding from uh, this VC in China. And that year in 2017, that VC invested in 20, 
uh, fintech-related companies. And now there's only two left. So that's how tough the um, the payment landscape is in the APEC region, um, mainly just because of compliance and all the money that you have to spend to keep your you know business operating. And everybody's fighting for you know the same piece of the pie here, right? Yeah, it's very interesting. Then, yeah, I mean, I mean, so before you moved on, it, it's something that we see quite regularly actually, where companies assume that expanding internationally can be done, you know. Uh, the touch of a button almost um and in actual fact you know there's a lot more under the hood than a lot of companies realize particularly around compliance and i think sometimes compliance gets neglected as um kind of a necessary evil when actually it's it's something which sets companies apart in, in my opinion and um is a costly thing but ultimately in my, you know sets such companies that are going to succeed apart from the ones that, that ultimately fail um in my opinion um but yeah very interesting Right. And then uh, moving on to the merchant side, right? So we're talking about, you know, how do you, you're onboarding these Chinese businesses? Because we, we were lucky we to choose China as our base country because, you know, what, what, what's the GDP that they did last year? I think like, I don't know, maybe 6 trillion US dollars. I don't know. Somewhere around there. Right. So we have a large base to start out with, even with COVID hitting, you know, the entire world we actually did pretty well. <laughs> and I heard from, um, from Ben, he said, your, your boss said the same thing, you know, whenever the economy is in, in a downturn, business picks up for us. <laughs> so that's, um, I don't, I don't know how that is, but that's what happened. And, um, so Chinese businesses, you know, they, they have explored selling to other APEC countries like India, Indonesia, Japan, Malaysia, and, but the big problem again is the, I think the regulatory hurdles with currency control, right? So purchasers, you know, they want to uh, buy from Chinese vendors, but they're not able to make the payment out. And, you know, we try to, and we try to tackle these issues. Um, we try to find payment partners in India in Indonesia in in Malaysia, but we ended up, giving up these markets because we weren't able to find one that we felt 100% comfortable working with. I think trust is a big thing because when, you know, our client's money is with someone else, you know, we, we can't sleep at night. So we need to know that, you know, they are legit, right. They're not going <laughs> to go out of business the next day. Yeah. Again, an interesting point, actually. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to understand maybe from from the community or, or, or from anyone else actually why there is a bit of a boom when there is maybe economic downturn. It, it's an interesting point. Maybe people just think that you know it, it, they, they, it's kind of all or nothing, so they invest their money in, into something just in, in the hope that it, it takes off. Uh, but yeah, no, very interesting points here. And so moving on slightly, I'm, I'm interested. You, you are in international business. You've got operations all over the world. And something that a lot of our customers who uh, and partners um, who are expanding internationally find, as we've as we've just um, spoken about, the difficulty with navigating international landscapes for compliance and, and regulation. So, interested to hear your opinions on the ecosystems at a broad level between North America, Amir, and, and APAC, and, and to, to hear your experience with kind of entering those those three markets. Right, right. So, um, yeah. So when you say ecosystem, I, I'm 
I'm assuming we're we're talking about you know the uh, the payment ecosystem, right? <laughs> the payment ecosystem, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, so because I grew up in the U.S. and I live in China for quite a few years now, uh, so these are the two parts of the world that I'm familiar with. So I can't say too much about Europe on that side or Latin America, um, but in in the U.S. Um, I guess we can first look at all the different payment options out there. So cash is obviously one of them. Uh, we have credit card, debit cards, you know, bank transfers, paper check, you know, digital wallet like you know Apple Pay, Google Pay, Venmo, PayPal, and obviously crypto is coming on the scene again. Um, and most of the I think B two C payments are done by credit card and debit cards. Um, and C to C payment, like peer to peer payments, are made uh, usually using Venmo or Zelle or Cash. Um, the B to B payment in the U.S. is a whole different animal. So you can use credit card, and you can write a paper check. You can use bank transfer, and just for bank transfer alone. Um, there are multiple options like ACH, you have uh, FedWire, you have you know, FedNow. Um, and most vendors, when they send out the invoice, you know, here's the invoice and, and the purchaser sees all these different options that, that they can pay from. I mean, which is good. Um, but most vendors, they don't accept credit card for large order, right? Because they don't want to get stuck with the, uh, the interchange fee or the merchant fee, right? anywhere between two to 5%, depending on you know, what type of credit card they're paying with. Um, so I think I saw a stat on Statista that says only about 8% of all the uh, B2B payments are done by credit card. So, so that means most of the payments for B2B are done using bank wire or paper check. And this complicates things um, or, it complicates things for B2B payments um, because it slows down the whole settlement time. For for B2C transaction, you know, you take out your credit card, you swipe on the uh, you know the POS machine, and you know everything happens behind the scene. It calls the uh, the bank saying, "Hey, does this guy have money on his credit card?" If this says yes, boom, the payment is done. Right. But for for B2B, when you make a transfer to your vendor using ACH or FedWire, um, I mean, you're expecting, you know, okay, I paid you, now send me the product. But the vendor says, nope, I haven't received the money yet, right? It takes about two to three days to clear. So the purchaser is waiting for the product and you're waiting for your money. So that's that's basically, um, I guess, the B two B landscape currently in the U S. Now I know that you know the federal government there is uh, working on like instant rails, like similar to I think SEPA and I think uh, what what is it in the U K. Uh, payments network. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly what it sounds like. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, yeah. So imagine if there was a fintech company that can provide instant payout for, you know, us B2B sector, you know, that would be like a huge thing, right? <laughs> like sort, sort of like the, uh, buy now pay later for business. Yeah. You know? 
I guess probably more complicated in the in the US just to do with the because of the such complicated infrastructure that they've got in place where the banks and their credit unions and not everyone talks to each other. Whereas in the UK, for example, you know, eight, eight to 10 kind of major banks, they're all connected to each other. Um, very easy to kind of get data and, and they're all part of the faster payments network. So uh, yeah, we are, we are, we are lucky in the UK actually um, that we've got such a, I, I guess I, I'd say good infrastructure for, for payments uh, compared to the U S Right. So I think that's why there's so many fintechs popping up in the U.S. because the U.S. whole payment rail and the whole, I guess, financial tech is out of date, right? It was built in like what, the 60s and the 70s. <laughs> so you have companies like Marketa, you have companies like Stripe, Square, and, you know, and what, uh, Karna or Klarna or whatever that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you got these guys. Yeah. And and how have you found? Uh, I mean, from a Easy Pay perspective, how have you found it? Kind of establishing yourself there, you know, getting connections with with other fintechs and other payment providers, and, and generally building your business. When we first started, we we probably took the same uh, steps Currency Cloud did: just go to the bank and say, "Hey, um, we have this need. Can you?" you know, outsource or give us this banking feature for us to use. Citibank, you know, and we went to regional banks like uh, MNT Bank, uh, SunTrust. Uh, we went to some Asian, you know, owned banks like uh, East West, Cafe Bank. You know, we talked to a lot of banks. And at, back in 2016, 2017, like nobody wanted to talk to us because like, uh, okay, so if you want us to provide you with a service, how much money can you make us, right? Because we don't want to, you know, spend all these, you know, man man hours on you guys if you can't promise us, you know, any money. But at that time, we were just starting out. We didn't have any, you know, a lot of flows coming in. So we had to do some, you know, improvising, right? <laughs> we're just like, okay, you know what? We're just going to open a bank account and we're just going to open like, Two, three hundred sub accounts, you know, <laughs> under our name. We'll just apply for a, um, you know, a money operating license in a state because you have to get like one license for each state in the U.S. And that we calculated to be probably somewhere around like a million to a million and a half just to get it all. So we're like, you know what? We'll just do it in one state, and and that's how we started out. And once we got enough flow. One day, you know, the bank was like, Hey, what are you guys doing? You know, <laughs> it's like, we're like, yeah, we're helping Amazon, you know, uh, merchants, you know, repatriate funds. And then they saw we had the flow. Now they're like, okay, let's retalk your use case and come back to the table. We'll set up some kind of, um, you know, product for your use case, you know, but then we found out that the cost of doing that is actually um, a lot more than what we expected. So even though we spent the money initially, we started looking for, you know, other options and someone recommended, Hey, you know, there's currency cloud, you know, they have us accounts. Why don't you just use them? <laughs> so we, um, we called you guys up or actually I shot you guys an email 
And um, at that time, it was I think it was Joseph. He responded, and we talked, and we're like, okay, so um, you have exactly what Easy Pay need, and uh, you guys want the flow, so let's work something out. So that's how the whole thing started. So we abandoned the whole U.S. Um, so we we do have an office there, but we're not working with any banks directly in the U.S. now. Yeah, I think that the problems that you have faced um, face a lot of people. You know, you can probably imagine we get a lot of clients and and customers who want to see a massive opportunity in the U.S. and want to enter the market, and then realize just how complicated it is. Um, you know, because everything's regulated state to state. And you know, I, I'm very lucky that actually I work in in the Emir team where we don't have those restrictions really. Like you know, the UK is the UK, and and now Europe is Europe, but within Europe, you've got X amount of countries that you can essentially band together um, yeah. under the same regulation, which is which is great. And the UK, obviously, is a massive hub. In the US, it's a, a much more complicated beast. So um, I think it's testament to you guys that you've, you've made it work um, in the US because it's not an easy market to enter. And and how, how about your experience kind of um, navigating between your, your APAC operation and the U.S. operation. It, it, have you found it fairly easy? I mean, being a global business, it's not always easy to to manage, but how have you guys found it since since 2017? Yeah, so so William and I, we started, you know, back in 2016. And at first, we were trying to figure out our business model, like how we're going to make money, right? Because that's the whole, you know, the core of this whole thing. Um, yeah. Instead of... There, so back then in China, there there was about like over three hundred payment companies in China. That you know that that's a crazy number of you know people that or companies that we have to compete with, and we didn't want to you know go head on you know do what they do because most of them they were in you know uh, using uh, selling point of sale machines sort of like you know but. We'll talk about that later. But so we had our site fixed on cross-border payment because that that's where um it, it was more complex. And nobody, I wouldn't say nobody, Pioneer was in it. Uh there was a company called, well, they're they're still here called Ping Pong X. And then obviously Air Wallets, you know, these are the major players that were competing with us, but it was better than 300. So um so we looked into it and pretty much I think B2B for so we compared to B2B cross border versus B2B domestic. So for B2B cross border, of course, you have to deal with multiple type of currency, um, multiple payment rails, you have different compliance standards. Um and and this is only the collection part. And after the merchants get get the money, um, don't forget that China has uh, currency control, right? So, so the merchant needs to explain to his Chinese bank uh, the source of funds and the purpose of funds. And only after approval, the merchant can finally get his money. Right? So, so that's we're like, okay, is this big? Is this problem big enough? And is it worth our time to deal with? Mm. And we're like, okay, since only three companies are doing it, so that means 
um, it must be difficult enough that nobody else wants to deal with this. So maybe we can find a way to simplify this whole process, right? And going back to your question, which I forgot what it was. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting to hear you actually, you kind of went off a different on a different uh, tangent there, but it's interesting because I think it, it comes back down to um, the fundamental of, of fintechs, which is there a problem to solve, which, which you clearly identified that there was and, and something interesting that you said, which is how do we make money out of it? Right. Which is, I think sometimes overlooked because of the types of businesses that, that we deal with who perceive there to be a problem, but you know, if no one wants to buy the solution that you're selling, then even if there is a problem um, that they're trying to solve, then then you're not going to go anywhere, right? So I thought that was quite an interesting point um, and not something that I hear that much actually, which is, is quite refreshing to hear. Um, but just moving slightly on, I mean, uh, easy pace, you know, I, what I was getting at really is, you, you know, you, you're an international business now. You started off solving a, a, a specific problem. You're now operating in, you know, across the globe, which is, you know, very impressive considering the difficulties with with the the payment landscape and the payment ecosystem and, you know, all the things we've discussed. And the next the next part, which would be cool to talk about is, innovation, you know, where, where next, you know, where do you go next as a business, you know, to be successful, you have to keep searching and keep innovating. So where, where next for, 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 to help consumers and for merchants, um, where does easy pay fit into that? Um, yeah, so just, um, keep going with what I was talking about earlier, going off on a tangent with business model, right? Because you're, we're, we're talking about, you know, what, what, where we are going next, because when we first started, Payment companies were able to charge, you know, two percent for you know cross-border payment back to China, and then when more players came in, it was one percent, and then more players came in, it was like half a percent, right? So now everybody is squeezed at about so the equilibrium now is somewhere around you know a quarter percent to half a percent, and. I think this number is only going to get squeezed even even tighter. So, so for payment companies to survive, um, we really have to think about how to, you know, find new revenue stream. You know, we're not banks; we can't, you know, make, I guess, make money off of loans, right? <laughs> that's that's what they do. We don't have the uh, that, that, that license to do it. So that's why we are looking into, um, the whole, I guess, NFT space with the whole blockchain space. Um, I think that's where the opportunity is going to be in because I think everything is going to get tokenized eventually, like from security to bond to treasury to debt and all that stuff, anything, any financial asset that you can tokenize, you're going to tokenize. And, um, we, we want to have some kind of, um, I guess, operating system, if you want to call it. So when the time comes, when a company wants to, um, use some kind of blockchain based, uh, system or ledger, that we will be able to provide one on the on a on a spot because a couple of years ago um we were actually approached by 
um, a central bank in the Southeast Asia, Asia region, and they wanted to do something with blockchain. Um, but at the time, we didn't have anything that would fit them, right? So that opportunity went by. And then some Eastern Europe country, their, one of their banks was also looking for some kind of blockchain type system. And they're like, okay, if you guys have something, you know, we'll take it. But again, we didn't have one complete. So that's what we are trying to finish. Hopefully we'll have one by the end of this year to next year. Because we don't, we don't see um, doing payment alone, making money off of payment by itself is going to be sustainable in the long run. And especially with central government pushing out CBDCs, I mean, that, I think that is just going to disrupt the whole payment space and then also disrupt the banking space. And I think that's why, that's why um, CBDC haven't been rolled out yet. There's probably a lot of, um, I guess, pushback from the banks itself. There's too much money to be made, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's an interest, again, another interesting point you raise around, um, you know, the, what we would describe as a race to the bottom, you know, people want things faster, cheaper, and more conveniently uh, and globally, you know, and it's, it's this uh, expectation that everything needs to happen now and it needs to be the cheapest possible price, particularly in the economic or the global economic um, climate where particularly like in the UK, for example, inflation is going up, everyone's tightening their belts. They need to find ways to reduce their, their costs. And I think it's kind of ironic because actually, as you, as we've discussed, um, becoming a completely global company entering new markets is a very expensive um, exercise. And sometimes I think that gets overlooked by, by businesses who just assume that being able to expand is going to be cheap. Um, and, you know, personally, this is a bit of a shameless plug for Currency Cloud, but our approach is actually more on, on the value that we add rather than, you know, the unit cost of things. So, you know, if we can show that we're adding value to companies then, and, and that, that's generally where our partnerships work, um, for people like yourself, you know, if we can facilitate a requirement where you're not going to have to go and spend a million pounds on entering a new market and you can partner with currency cloud and open up lots of different new currencies and lots of different capabilities globally, then that's the kind of partnerships that we like to work with. Uh, and, you know, I speak to companies uh, all the time in who are self-proclaimed remittance companies. And the first cost is the first cost. The first question they ask is, you know, what is the cost or the first point they make is, you know, we're looking to reduce our costs, you know, and, and reducing costs because your customers are um, driving down what you can charge. Personally, I think is the wrong way to go, but it seems to be what companies are being squeezed to do at the moment, which is which is a shame. But maybe that will drive competition uh, even more fiercely between businesses, and it will mean that businesses have to innovate in order to stay alive. Yeah, yeah, true. Because um. Let me let me show you this. I'm not sure you can see this. So the Chinese central bank they pushed out this digital wallet. This is their um. Let me see if I can. Oh uh, yeah, I can see that. Just about yeah. Some, yeah. So th this is their um the beta wallet that they that they wrote out to I think like eleven different cities here in China, and I don't have a uh, Chinese ID, so I can only use what was this called a uh, a level four wallet. So I can only do like about uh, 50,000 Chinese 
you know, yuan per year. That's my limit. But if you have a level one wallet, it is uh, unlimited. Uh, you know, you can deposit, you can buy unlimited amount of uh, digital cash, and you can transfer unlimited amount of digital cash. So when I was using this, even though the uh, the UI sucks, right? I mean, what can you expect? Government, you know, pay for, you know, but it works. Is instant, is free, right? And this is like, um, I don't care what like those anti whatever, what, what, what do they call like those privacy advocates? You know, I don't care what they say. Um, but you know, this is coming, right? Because when you use this. I can tell you once it once the beta version is over, the beta trial is over. Um, I think Alipay and WeChat Pay they're going to be in trouble because all the merchants they're going to have one of these QR codes for their own wallet in their store, and you know, I know WeChat Pay they charge I think um, anywhere between half a percent to one percent per a transaction. Right. So if you can't use this as a merchant, why would you, you know, put out the, uh, the Alipay or the WeChat pay QR code? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. those payment companies, they're, they're going to be, um, in trouble and for the international payments. So a foreigner like me, if I can get a, um, you know, a wall like this, and if I'm in the U.S. and want to pay somebody in China or some Chinese person want to pay me when I'm in the U.S., you know, we don't have to go through the, you know, you know, the swift mess- messaging system where you use any of those rails, you know, just, just, you know, click a button and, and I get, I receive the money. So I'm wondering in a couple of years down the road, you know, these B2B payments with all these central bank digital currency rolling out, you know, are, are we still going to be relevant? That's the question that we ask ourselves at EasyPay, like, you know, on a week to week basis. So that's why we're always thinking about, you know, how to stay relevant in this, in this world. Yeah. Very interesting. Again, uh, I've said it that a lot of times on this, but hmm. being relevant, being front of mind, I mean, companies get forgotten almost overnight. So, um, it's definitely a good tendency to have, you know, asking, are, are you relevant? Right. Um, so Michael, uh, gonna uh, gonna um, wrap things up, but before we do, um, just interested to you know hear your final thoughts on 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 what's next for EasyPay. I mean, we're in kind of midway through twenty twenty two now. Um, what what what's coming in the next six months? What can you tell us? Okay, so we are so you know compliance is a big issue for Chinese companies want to do you know, cross-border business and same thing with payment companies in China. I know, um, one of our other partners in Europe, you know, they try to get clients in China, but they found it extremely difficult because they have a different mindset when it comes to compliance. So the business development team they have in China, they'll onboard a client. And then after the client signs the contract and they start doing business, the compliance department over in, in, um, in France, they're like, no, they're not, their compliance is not up to our standards. So we can't onboard them. We, we need to, you know, <laughs> we need to de-risk. <laughs> so it's driving, um, it drives these, these business development, you know, these guys, these sales guys drive them crazy. So 
we talked to them. We're like, okay, so how about this? We'll create a sort of like a, I don't know, like software as a service or banking as a service, like some kind of software, a compliance software that will meet the standard of your bank and we'll push it out to these Chinese payment companies or these fourth party companies, right? They'll buy this package. That way they'll be able to be compliant and you guys get your business. So this is what we're trying to work with um, for the next six months. So hopefully we'll have some kind of product rolled out for, for the compliance part of our, our team. Amazing. Sound, sounds fantastic. And for anyone in the community that, that wants to get in touch with you, what's the easiest way to get in touch with EasyPay and yourself, Michael? Oh, just go on uh, our website, easypayx.com. <laughs> Perfect. Well, look, thank you so much for, for joining us on the Innovations Podcast. It's been great chatting to you. And uh, yeah, yeah. look forward to seeing your new developments over the next six months and beyond. Yeah, thanks for having me here. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>